You're listening to the Gender Reveal Party Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Pryor. This isn't your usual gender reveal party. There will be no baby sex parts. This is the real reveal, where we reveal gender through stories of brave humans willing to share their lived experience. Enjoy the listening. I sure enjoy making it. Hi, and welcome to the Gender Reveal Party. It's my joy today to share with you Tori Gleason. And Tori is a health practitioner in Goodland, Kansas. And welcome to the Gender Reveal Party, my friend. Thank you so much. I, I'm really happy to be here. And I have followed you for so long. Oh, and, uh, thanks. And my sister, who you know, Mickey Lara, yeah. um, is the one that first told me about you. Yeah. And, um, she, she kind of found out about my transition via Facebook and just sent a message and said, you need to connect with my good friend and uh, had nothing but rave reviews of you. So thank you. Well, you know, it's, um, and Mickey is a business partner of mine now. Mm-hmm. We're doing a, we, we are, own a, a consultancy firm together yeah. um, and we're having a good time. Uh, but, you know, it's funny because that situation I had with Mickey and you, I've had over and over and over again with so many people where I might have been the first person to, to call you she to her. Mm -hmm. right because she was like she said my brother I'm like your brother and then he and I'm like so he started out as female (laughs) and she was like no 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 (laughs) I'm like okay so she yeah and then I was like she and she was like okay so I use she I'm like yes she (laughs) you know like you got to push that with families because they're not used to it right I mean and and it's not not like I mean she we know Mickey's a lovely human and very very affirming very uh, affirming brilliant woman right exactly but it's a muscle right and we all have to practice practice being able to call each other by the right pronouns and things like that so I have that situation a lot where I'm the first person to be like no 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 she (laughs) yeah yeah. it's 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 in you know, you know this. I screw up. I make mistakes, and when sure, someone corrects do. me, I'll say thank you. Yeah, you know, and I don't apologize. I, you know, I typically don't. Depends on the situation. Sure. Typically, it's just an honor of respect and just saying thank you for correcting me because it does take an emotional toll on somebody to actually intervene and say actually. Um, and so I just want to, you know, just express that gratitude in that moment and thanking me. So yeah, for uh, sure. You know, at that, so, but yeah, I'm 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 privileged to be here today, friend. And and you're right. Like as, as I transition, especially in a rural community and, you know, with my sister, Mickey and other siblings, you know, they, they're transitioning along with me. So that's yeah. a challenge. And a huge so challenge. And you're doing again, it in a tiny town. Yeah. You know, less than 4,000. Like we have three stoplights. We only need one. And uh, <laughs> so it's, you know, like, you know, it's, it's name is Goodland. I wouldn't necessarily call it Goodland, especially <laughs> when it comes to being queer and trans. Um, you know, it's just, it's different and, but it is what it is, but also, you know, everyone asks, why haven't you left yet? Well, part of it is, is that there's still work to be done in rural. There's still, you know, what about that, that queer kid in the, in the, in the seats that doesn't have representation, doesn't have someone that they could say that, because that's what, you know, I'm a pre-trans person, like pre-internet trans person, um, you know, like, Maury Povich and, and Jerry Springer were the only places I got to see people like me in rural. Right. We saw nobody like us. Yeah. And, and, and in the movie, and I guess the documentary Disclosure and everything else, that was the first time I'm like, yes, yes, that's exactly how it was. And it was awful. It also led to a lot of the feelings I have and, and my therapist and I work through all the time. And a lot right. of it has to do with that media portrayal. And right. so it gets to be a challenge. But. Yeah. So you had a chance to watch my show. I have. Well, first of all, impressions. It's raw. 
it's real and god damn it it's fucking amazing oh thank you and, and what that's what i appreciated when you talked about the harm that you had experienced the trauma and i mean like i bawled watching it um because you get this how hard it is to be vulnerable but not only to be vulnerable with people like this but to be vulnerable in a way that everyone can see and yeah. and that exposed feeling of like what good is my trauma going to do mm. and but even in that and, and i want to say friend i see you and i thank you for sharing that story but my gosh i just got goosebumps again it, it impacted me mm. and and I, like i said i just i appreciate you doing that and telling thank your you. story because thank you i think it's pivotal because again we like to we like to shove that in the corner in the closet in the dark and we don't want to talk about that but that's reality for a lot of right. people right and and that's what i really appreciated about that yeah. um but so many wonderful things that came out of that and it was just that you know those that intersectional lens that we see the world through and i think it's critical that we have someone to to see that you know i can see the world through your eyes through your storytelling through you know, here I am. I'm a member of the Alphabet Mafia. I'm, a, I, I'm, you know, I stole a couple letters myself, um, but I have never lived your experiences, and I've never thought about things the way you um, placed them. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's crazy. But you know, I'll be honest with you. The gender reveal party prior to this, I'd never really thought of it that way uh, about just the celebration of parts. baby sex parts. That's exactly right. <laughs> baby sex i mean that's creepy as hell it's It's creepy as hell man you're revealing baby sex parts it's a junk jubilee is what this is (laughs) (laughs) like what this is so messed up like really (laughs) it's so messed up you're like what in the world that's so funny true with that is is that through your, you know, that I've laughed and cried and laughed, cried again, <laughs> all watching you. Good. And I'm then so you, glad. you're like, you get off and you, and you watch it and you're like, I'm tired. I'm worn out. <laughs> I need a nap. Yeah. It's so, funny because the word raw, like it's so it, that the word raw has come up a lot. And I had mm-hmm. somebody who had a real intense response and she was like, I don't mm-hmm. think you got to, people aren't ready. And I was like, but, and for me, you know, A, we're telling you it's raw <laughs> before you watch it. Yeah. But B, it's like, this is my art and I'm just hanging it up there. I've been doing activism for 30 plus years, being real gentle about it and being Mm -hmm. real sweet. And and I just wanted to just tell the real deal, Mm -hmm. like just one time, just bam. And so for me, it was a powerful experience. But for, you know, one of the things that having, I talk a lot about being classically trained female. Mm -hmm. And I know that for you, part of your story was how you were raised and especially in a small town like you are yeah my and i'm and i'm 100 percent clear you were an athlete right and you were yeah. st- i mean you were you were all the like the whole masculine crap right well, you know, <laughs> I mean, that was a hard thing because i was a classically trained male like my right dream. and that's why i thought it would be fun to talk to yeah. you about <laughs> oh yeah so like you know you do everything you can like my my operate when I shipped when my body shipped it shipped with an uh, the operating system an OS that was female and a body and a hardware that was male and that was confusing for me oh, and that sure. free internet like what the hell do you do with this right and you know so I you know I I tried to put back those things and those feelings and and because you know 
the way I acted was treated and kind of pushed away like, oh, we don't do that. But why? That's who I am. And so from friends, from aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents. And so it was such a conflicting message of like, why do I think this way, feel this way? And you're trying to treat me and, and teach me that the way I'm thinking is wrong. And this is the, you know, you need to go down this path, but I don't want to go down that path. And that was a challenge, you know? I, so I got into Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts. I started as a Tiger Cub all the way through, you know? And, and as a 13-year-old, you know, I went off to Spanish Peak Scout Ranch, which is outside of Walsenburg and about an hour away from Trinidad, Colorado, the sex change capital of the world, which Dr. Stanley Biber was at. And then later Marcy Bowers followed up before she moved her practice to Burlingame, California. And, you know, at 13, all I could think of was taking a pre-Uber Uber to Trinidad. You know, my <laughs> friends wanted a merit badge. I just wanted a vagina. So that was really confusing. <laughs> That's not the normal process for a 13 year old. That's the normal process. But that no. was my life. And you know, and I <laughs> did you really to... know about Trinidad though when you were 13? I did. I did. Wow. So I'm I've always been a nerd. So right. you know, when well, you're you know, a lot younger than me too, right? So I yeah, mean you're, I'm 42 you're inter... now. Okay, got it. So yeah. So so I was, you know, I remember sixth grade, I was in the, the public library doing, you know, periodical searches and trying to figure out who I was and why yeah. do I think and feel this way. I pulled an early DSM and back then the way we pathologized it, it was awful. So oh, like yeah. we, I diagnosed myself by getting the DSM out and reading it and then yeah. felt like crap. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. You know, and then you you lay that over on top of, my dad is Irish Catholic. My mom was was first Southern Baptist. That was, that was conflicting within itself. I went to both services. Right. So I just learned to hate myself at a very early age. Right. And, where did this DSM, uh, you know, diagnosis come and fit in with that? Because it, it's, it's conflicting with both churches, mm -hmm. with both uh, models of the way I, I grew up. And yeah. so, yeah. And so you're right. It's um, 12 and 13. That's not normal, but I knew that. Um, yeah. I knew who I was, you know, and yeah. I just come off my suicide attempt at age 12. I was a sixth grader, wow. um, you know, and, you know, and, and the sad thing is, is I can joke about it now, but like, you know how rotten you feel when you can't even get suicide right <laughs> when you it's wake bad. up and you're like, you're like what the? i know so same thing for me after my car accident i'm like right yeah all you do is look so away pissed. from it like congrats you suck so bad you can't even get, can't even get suicide right. right yeah yeah but yeah. that's the reality but at 12 i just i didn't want to exist because i felt like a glitch you yeah. know i like wreck it ralph because i've got kids almost 10 year old and an almost 14 year old and, you know, Vanelfi Von Sweets is the glitch. Right. And I am the glitch. Yeah. And that's how I felt at that early age is, is that like, I'm just, I, I'm not meant for this game. I'm not meant for this world. Everyone treats me like crap. And, and so at that early age of 12, I'm like, well, I'm going to do everything I can to erase me from the program. And that's what I tried to do. But here's the thing. That was when I was 12 and I woke up. And now I'm 42, I'm in 30 years of extra innings, friend. And now I feel like because I am in control of my own journey now, um, you know, I feel like I owe it to those kids that were in my shoes, that, that those parents that are like, what do I do with my trans, my queer, my non-binary kid? And yeah. like, just love them. And let me get you all the resources and references right. and the friends you need to the mama bears and papa bears extraordinaires. Yeah. And we'll just surround you and love on you. And yeah. um, you got this. And we're going to support you all the way through this journey. And yeah. that's where a lot of my calling is. But a lot of it too is 
you know, healthcare because I've spent, I've spent 15 years doing it. I, I've had 60,000 patient visits in 15 years. Right. Um, so we should say that you're a chi- you went on to, yeah. b- to become a chiropractor. Yeah, I did. You know, here's the funny thing. I literally picked my profession based on the fact that I knew that eventually I would probably go to someplace like Singapore or somewhere else, Thailand, to be able to be able to have gender affirmation surgery. That was mindset because at that time, prior to Affordable Care Act, it wasn't accessible. And- well, it's still not to the, depending yes. on what you want to have. I have. It's Absolutely. funny because my trans kid. Yeah, is thinking exactly the same way. And he's only 11. He's about mm-hmm. to be 12. Mm-hmm. But he already is like, I need a profession where I can make a lot of money if I want to transition to the degree that I want to transition because I'm like, you're right, I'm not paying for that. Yes. <laughs> Some of that I can't, I can't afford it. It's so but he's literally thinking about that. So that was yeah. smart to be like, hey, I need to make a lot of money so that yeah. I can Yeah, so wow. that was exactly my mindset. And, and it's wow. sad that we live in such a world where um, there was not equity, there's not equality, there's not accessibility to where just for me to like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying for what testosterone messed up in my body. You right. know, I yeah. want to fix my face. I want to fix my voice. I want to fix, I want to fix. And it's not that I'm trying to, you know, this, like this certain, you know, aesthetic I'm trying to achieve. That's not it. A lot of it comes down to safety. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes down to, it comes down to, you know, um, you know, yes, the gender dysphoria is that that's the wave we ride daily. It just is what it is. I just have gotten better at riding that wave through mm-hmm. therapy, through working with me. And I can't, I will be the best marketing internal, external uh, per, uh, for, you know, behavioral health that you, you can ever imagine because it's saved my life more time than not. Same. And um, <clears throat> it's what continues to allow me to, to function. And, and again, I, I do better, but it, I don't have passing privileges. Estradiol is amazing, but it doesn't fix my voice. It doesn't fix my face. It doesn't fix the things that I'm most um, sensitive about. You Mm -hmm. know, like I stick out like a purple cow on a field of black and white cows. Like when I'm in Walmart, if you ask where the trans person is, I bet you 99.9% of the people in there, it's like, where's Waldo? She's over there. She's in the milk section. And so, and so, especially in a small town, we have one grocery store, it's Walmart. So, you know, on I-70, the sewage line of America. So you can imagine the looks I get in there. Like, and it's almost like they see a unicorn in the wild. Like they got them around here too. Yes, they do, friend. Yes, they and do. So, I've been telling true. people lately I'm a unicorn. Yes, I'm like, I, I'm a unicorn. I, like I just, I, I've decided. The other word I like is whoa, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know, and the, the chiropractic degree within the profession, healthcare profession, is kind of the unicorn anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, being trans and queer, I, I like to say, well, I'm like trans, you know, you know, and that. So I'm like a unicorn squared until I found out on, on, on the social media what a unicorn was. And then I had to quit uh, claiming unicorn because that Uh-oh. got me in trouble. Well, what so, is it? Do I need, um, we need to talk later? Yeah, we need to talk later. <laughs> okay, so just be careful when you float that unicorn out okay. there. Okay. That's not what I meant. So, <laughs> it's like, I know. That, you know, describe your perfect day and everything else. So right. it just doesn't work out so well for you. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> so you just have to be what, careful what circles you float that unicorn status in. Right. So, yeah. Right. But yeah, that's. I'm so grateful that you're in Goodland. You know, I, um, I've been out when I came out, when I took my first shot of testosterone, my commitment, I've always been a gender queer. 
Um, but my commitment was that I needed to be an out trans person. Um, and so everywhere I went, I came out and I came out and I came out and I came out all over Washington, D.C. And I remember being back here in Kansas <clears throat> in 2008. And my phone ran and rang and I picked it up. And it's this woman that I had done a course with like out in Washington, D.C. And uh, she was like, hey, this is so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> like, OK. She's like, do you remember me? I'm like, yeah, I remember you. We did courses together. I was like, yeah, so my kid came up to me as trans last night. Um, and I mean, that's not the first one, but the fact that it was somebody that just did a course with me in Washington, D.C., um, for me was really powerful. And that's part of the reason that I'm out all the time is having been a suicidal youth and having had that. And I decided right from the time I came out when I was 18 that my nieces and nephews, are, I don't want them to ever have to deal with this. I don't want them to have to do what I did and Absolutely. go through what I went through. So I've, I've been uh, fortunate enough to, now I'm in that position quite a bit because, and I'm sure like this for you, that I, because I'm out everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and so if people have, and I, I say this when I speak from stage, you know, um, especially if I'm talking to an older crowd, I let them know, you know, you may not think you know anybody now, but I guarantee you within the next six months to a year, you're going to have a nephew or a niece or grandchild or somebody like that is going to come out to you and then you can be like oh I know about that right because they don't really know and so that's always been one of my big commitments so I'm so grateful that you're there in Goodland because I I just couldn't I don't know how I'm so grateful you're there <laughs> I could not live I'm from southeast Kansas and Lawrence is the only place in Kansas I can live like yeah. I just can't even there's no way I can it, it's it's lonely though i'm not gonna lie sure. right yeah like, i mean i have friends here um yeah. and and not within the community which is strange like i i you know our community feels like it's the only community that circles the wagons and shoots in instead of out um i don't feel welcome i don't feel like i have a place there i actually feel more comfortable with cisgender uh cishet people um and especially in my close inner circle because I, you know, here's the thing. I'm 42. I've never been to a pride. I've never experienced the community except through Zoom, except right. through Snapchat and TikTok. And, you know, TikTok is as close as I've had to being feeling like I'm part of the community. Mm -hmm. And so, but that's kind of the rule experience when you're a trans kid or a trans adult or a queer kid is that that accessibility, you know, I'm three hours away from Denver where I'm located at. It's five hours to Wichita. Like right. you just feel like you're on an island in the middle of nowhere yeah. where it's hard to feel people see me, but do they really see me? Right. No. Yeah. Not the same way. Yeah. I, I, for, I uh, started the gender reveal party with um, the butch femme community because for me, finding them and finding other trans mm -hmm. humans was, and that's part of why I went to DC whenever I was a butch in Lawrence. I was like, I was the only one who identified that way and, and that freaked everybody out. They kept saying, you're blah, blah, all this weird shit. So um, I moved away and that's when I met other trans people. And then it was like being, and DC was like a, 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 another island. I mean, it was a whole other world, you mm -hmm. know, compared to um, being in Kansas. So I definitely get that uh, level of isolation. So yeah. I uh, applaud you in terms of your, now will you leave when your kids are grown or, you know, like, you know, that's, that's the plan down the road. I mean, uh, right now my priority are my kids sure. and, and if it's sacrificing, feeling a sense of community, uh, you know, I have bodily autonomy, but 
I still feel like the, the, the way I present my gender expression, things like that, is still a watered down, what can the community tolerate? Um, and so it's really weird because it's like, well, this is me. And then you're like, well, kind of, well, maybe this is me. And I'm, so I'm still sorting through even after I've been on gender affirming hormones for almost five years now. Yeah. And I'm still trying to find out, like, you're not going to see me stroll down main street in a dress. Like I am a trans and vans, blue jeans and a t-shirt person. That is who I always will be. And it's who I was as a kid too. Like, right. just because I take hormones doesn't mean, and you get this, I'm preaching to the choir here. But, it, it, you know, I, I have no desire to want to get frilly. That's never right. been who I am. Right. Um, I just want to be comfortable in my own skin. Right. Um, and so that's what this journey is about for me. But it's amazing how many people really don't appreciate the fact that I want to be me. And right. so that's a challenge. Yeah, it is a challenge. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I talk about this and I bring it up almost every one of these because it's so fascinating to me how intense it is for them. Mm -hmm. uh, for the cishet norm, heteronormative yeah. people soaked in that. And whenever I talk about being non-binary or talk about uh, being a genderqueer, that's when I freak them out the most. And that's when they come at me the hardest is that whole world of there's only two sexes, male mm -hmm. and female. There's only two genders, you know, mm -hmm. and they just get all freaked out about it. Um, why do you think they get so freaked out about it? Um, I, I think it's because, you know, especially within the, and I'm, I'm still a person of the faith, right? Um, I think that I can deconstruct my faith and not feel threatened by it. Many people can't. Mm -hmm. If you start pulling out those Jenga blocks, everything will crumble. And don't you dare pull out one of those things. It's almost right. like, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, like, you know, you had the, the furniture with the plastic on it. You don't go in that room. You don't <laughs> sit on that couch. God forbid you sit down on that and someone's getting their butt whooped. And right. so, but it's that kind of mentality, like, you know, my faith and all that stuff's for show, but you start picking things apart and someone's going to lose something, and so, right. you know? And so it, I think it challenges who they are and like, you know, just, but I think that we have dealt, you know, here's the thing we've unraveled and dealt with and diagnosed ourselves or misdiagnosed ourselves for so long. I, I think people just accept what someone told them, accept who they are and never question that there might be somebody out there different. Um, and, but, oh God, do they struggle with somebody that does not fit in the box because oh God gosh. forbid, everything's supposed to be tidy and neat. Everything's right. supposed to fold up perfectly and y'all we don't fold up neatly um so like i'm over here like a jackass with two feet in you know in boxes and everything i was like what this isn't okay and so it's just this it's who i am um, right but like i said it just it threatens their their sense of self and security safety uh, and sense of self. i think Absolutely. it's a safety thing i really I do think it's about safety there's so I much agree. that's like and we've the way it's been designed and i know this from walking through the world as an undercover white guy for 18 mm -hmm. years like there is something about being a man that is very like you have to step up in a particular way yeah i'm sure you experienced this you have to pick yes. step up in a particular way yeah or you're not man enough That's or right. you're seen of as i mean it's very interesting and i never even though i never bought into that stuff mm -hmm. i could feel when when people were pushing me that direction or people were you know, like I, I yeah. can feel it, um, even though I was like, you know, I'm lighting the loafers and I always have been, you know, even yeah. if you're going to call me a man, I'm going to be a really right. femi man. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't realize I how femi I was as a man until I actually, you know, like, as a butch, I thought, well, I'm 
Yeah. Pretty much. Right. And yeah. then once the hormones kicked in and the world started treating me like a man, I'm like, oh crap, I'm really gay. Like, <laughs> I'm really, oh, femi. Crap, I'm really gay. That's I'm like really femi. I'm really yeah. femi. Boy, people take me as a gay man all the time. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. Who knew? I didn't yeah. know. I know, right? It's fantastic. <laughs> it's so. very funny. <laughs> oh crap, I'm gay. <laughs> I know, I'm gay no matter what. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Yeah. But it is that that perception of how the world sees you and then and how that impacts you. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I remember growing up the way I'd act or whatever, like that P word gets thrown out there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's the thing. I've contributed to the marginalization of people as well. 100%. Even to this day, like sure I do. know better. But mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, how I was brought up, how I was raised, how I was cultured, like, you know, like, oh, did I just say that? I just... I repeated that. So my implicit bias, my ex, you know, you know, all those things, I still have microaggressions that I have to check at the door too. Sure. Um, You know, and so it's just that constant unlearning and relearning that we all have to do, but it's amazing how that just toxic culture has impacted myself that I can speak for only me, my N equals one is, is that, um, sorry, I'm yelling at my child over here. Um, so it, it's just, it, it, it impacts the way that I talk to my son just now. I talk to, um, you know, talk to my, my, chi- my oldest child. And, and it's just such a challenge to how do you unpack that? And, you know, then you watch a TikTok, you're like, Ooh, oh man, I really contributed to that. Uh, that <laughs> like, you know, my kids are going to need lots of therapy someday uh, because of me. I just, I know it. Uh, and not, not because of my gender identity or my gender no, expression. None of that just part. The things that come out of my mouth. Because <laughs> the Irish Catholic First Southern Baptist stuff speaks out every now and then. And I'm like, well, that's not right. And so uh, that's just life. Yeah. So you are, I know you're in grad school, but you're mm-hmm. also doing some trans education and edu- especially around yeah. healthcare and public health, things like that. Do you want to share some sure. of the work you're up to? So I've, you know, it's, it's really nice that um, even in a, in a COVID world, in a, a world of, of Zoom, um, you know, everyone I know seems to be in a little rectangle on my screen. Um, and I've never met in real life because again, I live on an island um, and the world pretty much ended here about a year and a half ago. Um, I've been invited. I, I lecture at KU School of Medicine. I lecture at CU School of Medicine through Project Echo. Um, nice. And so <clears> I get an opportunity to speak to their concurrent MD and PhD. Those are the create. They couldn't pick one. They wanted to do both a PhD program and an MD program at the same time. You know, why not go to school for six years in grad school and then do a three to seven year residency afterwards? Um, but I get an opportunity to, to and I, you know, I've, I was on the, the hospital board here, Critical Access Hospital here, which is a less than 25 bed certified hospital uh, in, a, in a rural setting. And so I, I helped in governance and leadership there. I was treasurer. Our, it was a small 20, $22 million a year facility here. And so I spent a lot of time in, in the C-suites with uh, CEOs, CFOs, COOs. And so I speak that lingo and, and lingo, and I, I know how to spend time with them. So my perspective of a knee to knee on the patient side, knee to knee on the provider side, and also in the boardroom is kind of a unique experience that a lot of people don't have. Mm-hmm. And so I can spend time talking to healthcare executives. I can spend time talking to nurse practitioners, PAs, medical doctors, and I get that opportunity. I, I lecture to respiratory therapists and RNs and BSNs and the, all the acronym alphabet soup of making sure that, you know, we know that education is how we raise the bar. And 
that's a big aspect of it. I just sit, I tend to focus on that. And then I do a little bit in the corporate world with like Edward Jones uh, and, and a couple others there, LMH Health, which I've done several lectures for them as well there in Lawrence um, with their HEAT, their health equity uh, team they have. And they're doing some amazing things there and they're continuing to try. You know, they're going to bring a good friend of mine, Amanda Mogwai. Uh, she's a nurse practitioner, a cishet woman down in Wichita. And uh, they're going to bring her in to speak about this is what an inclusive but not just an inclusive because inclusive is just like baseline. Like, you know, no one's hanging that crap on your refrigerator door, right? Like no one's bragging about inclusion. Congrats, you know, like, this is what an affirmative practice looks like. This is what it looks like to love your patient. Well, and this is what a belonging practice looks like. Thank this you. is a place, this is where people belong, where they yeah. walk in the door and they feel like they belong. That we aren't there. We, yeah, I, there's no. a long way to go before we get there. So no, I, mean, I, mean, I can get is... starting with inclusion. Let's start there. But... And so <laughs> it's hard because I'm teaching everybody to crawl. I'm right. teaching everyone that like, oh yeah, we all deserve to crawl. Like, hey, let's do this. Right. But again, like your mom and dad is not going to be proud about, you know, putting a bumper sticker on my kid and says, my kid goes to West Elementary and they're an inclusive kid. No one's right. doing that. Right. So, you know, like I want an affirming kid. I'll put that bumper sticker on my car. Right. And so I, you know, I want a kid that supports belonging. That's something to well, be that, proud about. It's so interesting because, you know, I get, I do a lot of talks on like why they, them pronouns mm -hmm. in business because I'm in the business realm right same deal i talk to ceos i talk to middle level management at director level why do i why should we affirm they them pronouns why do we need to learn this stuff yeah. and it's like then we have this conversation about being seen mm -hmm. like and and immediately they're like of course of course people need to be seen yeah. <laughs> yes yeah okay <laughs> yeah i mean let's put them together uh, yeah <laughs> or in healthcare. <laughs> they're like we'll see our patient clientele but the people that work behind the desk they, yeah. they forget about them entirely right like you know when they can't bring their own authentic ass to work right because you don't have policies and procedures that are supportive they don't have a, a spouse that gets same same sex or same gender benefits when you don't go through those things which is why i put well, how they know, talk about people i mean i've had um, I won't name names of places, but I've had friends working in healthcare places mm -hmm. that were queer yes. who their, their other coworkers talked so badly about queer people that they didn't want to come out because they didn't feel like they were safe there. Absolutely. I, I mean, like, you and yeah. I know what it's like to code switch. You in know, a heartbeat, you know, we can code and, and switch anywhere. I can turn it on and turn it off depending Ooh. on who I'm with or how you I bet. perceive my safety to be you in a bet. moment. You bet. And we are all cultured that way because it's, it's a safety thing. Yeah. It's also, if I want to get paid, I know I have to act a certain way, <laughs> and, yes. you know, and that's because I got to put food on the table for my kids. Right. Um, and so, and you're right. And, and that's the problem with a lot of these healthcare facilities. And, you know, and again, I will say this, that we do a lot of education of those that are on the front line. A lot of those that are, are uh, you know, primary care and first responders and those are low-hanging fruit right now are the C-suites because a person doing their master's in healthcare administration is not getting this education. Right. They're not understanding why equity is important mm -hmm. to your, not just your patient, but your employee, your team members, and what it means to actually, as you said, we see them. Right. <laughs> And, yeah. and so, and that's the challenge and that's where I need help. And that's where you need help is being able to educate those people. Because again, they're the ones driving the bus. Yeah. They're the ones. And unfortunately, right. like it or not, 
the nurses, <clears throat> the doctors, the front desk, the back office staff, they're just riding on that bus. Right. But, but the people that are driving the bus, they're the ones that need the real education right now. And that's why the KUs and the Wichita states of the world, just in our world, they're the ones that we need to be approaching to say, all right, let's talk about micro and macro aggressions. Let's talk about, you know, why you should actually on onboarding have some, you know, some DEI education required and yearly requirement of, right. hey, how do you intervene? It's not a one and done conversation no. either. No, because again, you, uh, you know, I've said in my vulnerability, like I screw up all the time. Right. You know, how do you intervene skillfully in a microaggression? How do you, and teaching employees, how do you stand in there and say, actually, Jim, that's not how uh, we should handle that situation. You know, having those conversations and being able to role play those in a hospital or healthcare setting or an Edward Jones or a wherever else and being right. able to handle those situations out in the field. Because again, you can't just check a box and said, well, on onboarding with my new employee, we did this training and they're good to go. It, it's like a CPR certification. It should be done every year. Um, yeah. And because it is life, altering and life-saving just like cpr is it's no different it's right. it's like a physician has vitals height weight you know your pulse well you should be asking those questions too because those are vitals right those are vitals for an organization whether you're in you know uh, the corporate structure or whether you're in a private practice small world those are vitals for making sure that your employees are going to be okay they're supported, they're protected, and they have the tools to be successful. Because then, and we all know this, a diverse team is the best team. So oh, that's yeah. how we win. Hundred percent. And I think that the 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 focus, and this is the good news, is that the mm -hmm. Gen Zs they already get that, right? The Gen Z generation. Do. We don't need to educate them. We had to educate our generation and absolutely. Us and yeah, um, you know, I'm 55, so definitely people above me. The yeah. The, <laughs> And that's yeah. part of and, why and I'm you know, doing I, this. I'm right, right on the border. Like I'm 1979. So it's like, just like with my, you know. I remember 1979. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, am I, am I Gen X or am I Gen? I'm not sure where I'm at, where I, you know, and it's no different than my, my Soji status. This is like, it's a little confusing here. It's a little shaky at times because uh, I'm yeah. right on the boundary. But, you know, 15% of, of, of our new generation are LGBTQ. You know, when you look 25, at those numbers, 25% of 18 to 35 year olds, 15% are gender nonconforming and, yeah. gender and, and, you know, you know, those conservative estimates from Williams Institute, 1.4 million people in the United States that are, that are trans, you know, over 1.1 million that are non-binary, okay. uh, you know, and again, I still think those are conservative. Estimates. I agree. I agree. You know, when they and say that's another reason why businesses and, and I mean, that's why people have to. I mean, that, that, that those kids are coming in yeah. and they are not going to compromise on who they are just to like work for you. Yeah, the, the, the kids are all right. And, yeah. and we're going to be okay. Right. <laughs> and that's what I see with my, my, my oldest is uh, they're going to be almost 14 now coming up in November and their friends are phenomenal with me. Right. Like, um, right. you know, like they'll correct <laughs> one instance I had, I was in, in the office and, and there was at the time she was an eighth grader and, and her mom called me uh, with a male pronoun and she just stood right in there and corrected her mom. I didn't have to say a word, you know, the eighth grader corrected her mom in my office. And again, mm -hmm. that's why I'm saying the kids are okay. Kids are like, okay. we're going to be just fine. Right. And, and that's why I'm more comfortable. I love to coach. 
I love to spend time in, in athletics because again, I was a college athlete, you know, I had college scholarships in football and track and cheerleading, um, you know, um, and so it's, it's one of those things that um, I'm comfortable around athletes and athletes are comfortable around me. I still work with a college here with NJCAA uh, division one school, you know, sometimes I'm the first trans person they met or, or not, but either way, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the worst I get from them is they'll ask their coach after I leave the training room, was that a guy or a girl? That's the worst I get, you know? And so, yeah. and then it's just a conversation and it's like, okay, I was just curious. And right. so, and I'm good with that. And the, the college kids are great. And they're from all over the world. We've right. got kids running from Morocco here and we've got kids from Kenya running and we've got, and they're phenomenal. They treat me with, you know, they treat me like a human being. And so it's no big deal. Uh, it's that the older generation I struggle with. That's the fun one. Yeah. And that's why we're doing what we're doing for the gender right. reveal party. It's kind of the audience I attract and I'm hoping, yeah. hoping to hoping to learn from. So thanks again for being here. There's a quote by Anais Nin that I sometimes use uh, after I do a trans talk. And it reminds me of, of your situation and all trans people's situation. But that quote by Nice Nin says, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in the bud became more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And I think that you, uh, you know, took a huge risk to blossom, but you're continuing to blossom. And I just want you to know that you're an inspiration to all of us and especially those kids in Goodland, Kansas. So thank you for being who you are and for doing what you do. Absolutely. You know, friend, it was my at the time, eight-year-old child that gave me permission to, to start medical transition. And the quick story I'll tell you is, is that we were walking and, and, and they knew that I was going through therapy and for gender identity. And I'm explaining to my future social worker um, what it's like to, you know, there's, this is who I am, but an ultimatum was made. And if I made that journey, that trip, that I was going to lose my family, my marriage, my, those things. And, and at the time, my, my child, we were walking next to the football stadium and, and they looked at me and they just said, you know, how can you be brave and authentic and ask us to do that if you can't do the same? And it was just that moment of, God dang, I'm a hypocrite if I'm going to tell my kid that I expect bravery and, and to be authentic, to walk their walk if I can't do the same thing. And I said, but, but Allie, I said, you know, if I do this, if I own my truth and walk that path, I said, that means that half my time with you will disappear. And they said, it'll be okay. I'd rather you be yourself. And in that moment, I'd made the decision to be who I am, who I've always been, who I've always known. And I decided that the pain of being in that bud in that moment was more painful than deciding to blossom. And in that moment with my child, who was almost nine at the time, I decided it was time to blossom. And to this day, like I, my oldest saved my life. And she was almost nine <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, and just the kids are okay. <laughs> the kids are okay. And, and it was just that moment of like, you know, I got this far in life and I had this amazing kid. I have two amazing kids and my kid, even though it would represent loss to them, just gave me permission to be me as we should all give permission to each other, to be who we are, who we were born to be. I've known who I was since I was five years old. And so it's just imperative that we 
build each other up and encourage. And, you know, if it comes down to we have two choices and it's attitude and effort every day that I make sure I choose a good attitude and my effort is just being authentic and just being who I am. And my kids love me for who I am, the authentic self. And I don't have to pretend with them. I'm just me. I'm, you know, I'm just me. That's what I, you know, when people ask, what are you? I'm just me, just a person. So uh, we all do our best friend. Well, I love the person that you are. So thank you for being with us. Um, Any last words you want to share with our audience or any place we want to find you or, you know, reach out to me, to you, to others. Like that's the thing about us when we live authentically and out there authentically on social media, whether it be Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, doesn't matter. Like we'll give phone numbers out there, you know, and and you know this better than anybody. And you, I've modeled this after if there's a trans or non-binary kid in trouble like that, that, that queer bat signal goes up and then we, <laughs> we right. respond, we right? swoop in, so, yeah. <laughs> right. so, you know, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, we, we all, you know, everyone wants to be Batman. Everyone wants to be Robin, but the reality is most of us are Alfred behind the scenes, right? <laughs> taking care of people, yeah. you know, because when Batman's in trouble, they call Alfred right. and, and that's who we are. And that's who I encourage others to be is that your name doesn't have to be on the billboard. Just love authentically be there for the kids, be there for adults that are in trouble, be there to not always just you, but just giving them resources or references or someone in the area. And and again, you know, we, the kids are all right, but so are we. And I, and I believe that there are people, you know, that, that need to live their truth if it's safe. Um, that I think that uh, come out and be who you are. You only get one life. And I can tell you this, even through all my loss and part of that decisions are made, aren't made in a vacuum through everything that I've lost, which was my house, my car, my retirement, all those things, my business, I gained so much. And the patients that know me, my friends that know me say, I like this version better. My, 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 my family and my patients say, my gosh, I didn't know this is what you really were because I no longer had to live by that false facade. And so I just want to encourage to, to everyone, whether they be cis, het, whether they be trans or queer or non-binary, just live authentically, be kind, don't be an asshole um, and lift each other up and support each other. If we do that, like the kids are all right. And so are we, we'll be okay. For sure. Thanks for being here, friend. I adore you. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Gender Reveal Party podcast. I hope you loved it. And if you did, would you take a second and go do all the things like subscribe, rate, review, tell all your friends. Apparently, if you do that, the podcast platforms are more likely to share it. And if you think these stories are important, please take three minutes to just go do that. I'd really appreciate it. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social. On Instagram and Facebook, I'm at the Gender Reveal Party. And on Twitter, I'm at Prior J. It's a real joy and privilege to bring you this podcast. Come back soon. Love you, bye. <laughs>